Open your Bibles, if you will, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <coughs> Continue our study of this book. <coughs> this morning we'll be looking at verse 12. James 1, verse 12. <coughs> you know, the worst thing about school, it always seemed to me, was uh, the homework. If you could just go to school and listen to somebody explain the material to you and ask some questions and think about it a little bit and talk to your friends about it and then go home and be done with it, and that would be like the perfect kind of school, right? No homework. They actually call that auditing courses. That's how I take courses now. I just audit them. You don't have to do any papers, no tests. Just listen and learn what you can and go home. Nobody likes homework, I think. Well, the same is probably true of our study of James. The worst thing is the homework. Well, I'm not talking about the homework that I might assign to you. I haven't been assigning any homework. Well, that's a thought. You know, we could have you write a little paper on James, or memorize a few verses. Or, nah, I probably wouldn't go over. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm not talking about what I might assign. I'm talking about the homework that the Lord seems to be giving. As we've been studying about trials and troubles that test our faith. I notice as I look around that there's several people in the chapel that suddenly are having trials and troubles and testing of their faith that I don't know that was going on a couple months ago. Almost seems as if God is assigning some homework while we're talking about it here. We're not just talking about trials that suddenly you're living with some trial or some trouble. Of course, many of you have been living with that for years. Troubles of one kind or another. So you just can't audit this course. We'll do the teaching here. God assigns the homework. That's his business. But at the risk of getting even more, even more difficult assignments. Let's plunge ahead into this matter of trials and troubles of life. Verse 12, kind of a summary verse of the things that we've talked about up till now. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This little verse tells us two things. It tells us what God requires, and it tells us what God promises in the face of our trouble. So the first thing. God expects loving loyalty when we are tried. God expects loving loyalty when we are tried. Think about how we naturally respond when trouble comes. How we naturally respond to testing and trials of our faith. And I know what comes naturally to me, and I suspect it's true of you too. It seems that we want to do one of two things. We either want to quit, just say, I've had it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I refuse. Or at least we want to get angry, hateful, cynical, bitter, boiling up inside ready to spew out at whoever it is that brings the trouble to him. 
Maybe you don't respond that way. Maybe I'm just talking for myself. But it seems to me that wanting to get, to get angry or to quit, that those are the things that come naturally to us the instant that trouble arrives. Well, God knows that we're like that, and so here he instruct us, instructs us on the kind of response that he seeks. Specifically, God expects loving loyalty when we're tried. First of all, instead of quitting, he calls us to persevere, to be loyal to him, to patiently endure the trouble. That's what we read in the beginning of this verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Persevere. It's an interesting word. It's the word persevere. It's actually a compound word that means literally to abide under to abide under when our trials seem too much for us when the load is too great to bear when we are ready to just throw in the towel and say i've got to have some relief somehow i've got to get out from under all this pressure here comes the lord saying blessed is the man who abides who stays under the pressure the rigors of discipline who won't quit because he's confident that God is not about to crush me. He is only refining me. You know, when I think of the greatest lessons that I've learned in life, I realize that almost every time, in order to teach me those lessons, God had to first pin me down where I could move. Back me into a corner. Close off all the options until I was stuck having to deal with the pressure, the truths that I didn't want to face, that he was bringing at me. Only then did real change take place. But nobody likes to be pinned down like that. And so if it were up to us, we would never get to that point. We would never get to the place that we absolutely have to deal with things we don't want to deal with. When the pressure really gets turned on, we just say, no, I quit. I refuse. I'm not going to do this anymore. But God says, no, I want you to persevere. I want you to stay, to abide under these troubles. Stay with me. Remain loyal to me, even when the heat is on. When you're hurting like crazy, because I'm not trying to destroy you, I am only changing you. I'm refining you. I'm proving and testing that you are pure gold. That's what I've made. Oh, you who are under the burden this morning, hold fast. I call you to constancy and endurance, to be loyal. God is not out to get you. He's only perfecting you. For that reason, he's brought trouble on you. Persevere, loyal. And then instead of quitting, that, that's what we do instead of quitting, but then instead of anger or bitterness or cynicism, God calls us to love him. God expects loving loyalty in the midst of our trials. We see that at the end of this verse, the crown of life that God has promised not just to those who persevere, but to those who love him. 
You see, here we learn that simply persevering, just gritting our teeth and puffing it out, saying, all right, I'll put up with it, is not enough. No, God wants us to love him in the midst of it. Loving loyalty, he looks for. Think of the logic here. If we really know that God loves us and he desires to make us perfect and these plans are good for us, not evil, and so then he prescribes some little dose, some big dose of trouble in order to change us and refine us. But we know that he's promised to hold on to us in the midst of the heat and he's promised to bring us through to the end and and to prove us by all the testing, if we know that those things are true of God, then why is it that we get so angry at him? Why do we get so bitter, so filled with resentment when he brings trouble into our life? Or filled with resentment at the people that he uses to bring it? You see, getting mad is our natural response, but it doesn't make any sense if God is really God and he really is in control. Joseph had to learn this back in the book of Genesis. You remember his story? How his brothers hated him so, and they finally sold him as a slave to the Egyptians. Told his father he was dead. He rose to power in Egypt, and then years and years later, his brothers came, and now they're at his mercy. For he's in power, and they are poor. Now, how would he respond to what's happened to him? If anyone ever had a reason to be bitter, it was Joseph. Oh, but listen to his reply when he met his brother. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done. Oh, Joseph was not under some false delusion that his brothers had his good at heart. He knew they didn't. He knew they wanted to harm. But he knew that God was in control. And he loved God more than he hated his brothers. Loving loyalty. God expects loving loyalty when we're tried. This morning in the face of your troubles, whatever they may be, I call you to guard your heart. To guard your heart against the bitterness. God expects you to love him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's still the first commandment. That leaves no room for bitterness, resentment, hatred. There's a 17th century hymn by George Newmark that I love. It's a hymn about trusting God in the midst of suffering. Listen to the second verse of this hymn. It says, what can these anxious cares avail thee? These never-ceasing moans and sighs. What can it help if thou bewail thee over each dark moment as it flies? Our cross and trials do but press the heavier for our bitterness. You see what he's saying? What good is it to get angry? It only makes the trouble worse to be bitter about it in the midst of the trouble. God expects us to love him. Love him. Loving loyalty. 
You know, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Testament, there's a word that means loving loyalty. You've heard me talk about it again. I love this word. It's the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. Most often it's used to describe God's loving loyalty to us. And since we don't deserve God loving us or being loyal to us, it comes to mean mercy or grace. Because God owes us nothing. And so we find it, for example, in the 23rd Psalm, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear, for God promises that surely goodness and chesed, God's loving loyalty, will follow me all the days of my life. I'm safe, you see, because God lovingly is loyal to me as his child. Or in Psalm 25, the Lord's loving loyalty is seen as our hope for forgiveness. Remember not the sins of my youth, we read. And my rebellious ways, but according to your chesed, your loving loyalty, remember me, O Lord. What's my hope in the midst of my sin? That God is faithful even when I'm not. That he loves me and he's loyal to his promises, even though I've broken these promises. Indeed, in Lamentation 3 we read, because of the Lord's great chesed, loving loyalty. We're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, when the Bible talks about loving loyalty, it mostly talks about God and how he's dealt with us. But then there are a few occasions where he talks to us about how we deal with him. And he says that our response to him is to be the same as his to us. For example, in Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy? There's that word again loving loyalty and to walk humbly with your God that's what God's telling us in James this morning even in the midst of trouble even in the midst of trial even in the midst of the worst kind of testing God has not failed God is still faithful God still loves us God is still loyal to his promises and he expects us to walk in loving loyalty to him just like he's shown to us sure I do not understand what you are going through this morning, you who are being severely tested. But I know what God expects of you in this trouble. He wants you to refuse to quit. And he wants you to not waver in your love for him. In other words, God expects loving loyalty. Well, that's the obligation, but along with this obligation comes a promise from the Lord in this verse. That's our second point, that God promises blessedness when we endure. God promises blessedness when we endure. Now, you know, there are some things that are just hard to believe. For example, with, when the dentist with his drill in his hand says to you, open wide, you're just going to feel a little pressure. You say, I don't think I believe that. <laughs> Or, or, or when uh, your teacher says, you're really going to enjoy this assignment. You say, I, I doubt it. Normally not. Or, or, or when uh, your father is about to punish you and he says, this hurts me more than it does you. You say, no, Dad, you, you have forgotten. That's not how it works. You see, there's some things that are just hard to believe. They just sound absurd on the face. And maybe that's how you feel about this. Blessed, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. You say, I don't think so. That doesn't sound like blessing to me. We would feel much more comfortable saying, 
that poor man's life is jinxed. <laughs> he lives under a cloud. He lives under the curse. All he has is trouble, trouble. I would quit. I don't know how he keeps going. Now that makes more sense to But God still says here, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Seems absurd. It doesn't appear to be blessed to have a life full of trouble. It doesn't appear to be blessed to have your faith tried and tested in the fires of tribulation. We all know it's no fun. It's no fun to be poor. It's no fun to be bankrupt. It's no fun to be in ill health. It's no fun to be made to look like a fool. It's no fun to smart under the sting of criticism. It's no fun to struggle with inner conflicts and with emotional turmoil. It's no fun to be afraid. It's no fun to lose your job. It's no fun to have your wife leave you. It's no fun to be misunderstood or maligned or to fail miserably. It's no fun to have trouble. So did the Bible make a mistake? Is James out of his mind here? Did the Holy Spirit go on vacation when James was writing this? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. Oh no, there's no mistake. Here God is just pointing us beyond what we can see to the greater reality that we don't see right this moment. To the substance of his promise, which is eternal, not just this moment in time. But you see, the blessedness is not in the trials. The Bible never says you're blessed to have trials. The blessedness is for the one who endures the trial. Indeed, we must admit that in spite of all the good things that we enjoy in Christ, all the fruit of the Spirit and the fellowship of God's people and the freedom from guilt and the joy in the Lord, in, in spite of all those wonderful things, the Apostle Paul says, if we only have hope in this life, if what we have right now is all there is, we're the most miserable people on earth, Paul said. There are a lot more ways to have fun. Oh, but this is not all there is. This moment is not all. And that's what the promise is this passage, verse 12, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. The crown which is eternal life itself. That's what's held before us here. Now the crown is an interesting thing in the Bible. It's used a lot of different ways. And they all apply here. The crown is used on festive occasions as a, as a crown of flowers to express joy. It's used in royal occasions. A crown of gold and precious stones that that talk about royalty, or, or a crown of laurel leaves is awarded to the victor. It talks about his victory in the games. Finally, a crown is used figuratively to express honor and dignity. You see, a crown speaks of joy and royalty and victory and honor and dignity. You see, all those things are things we don't have much. God's people tend to be pretty short on those things. Mostly God's people endure a lot of sorrow and weakness and oppression and they're mocked as losers and treated with no dignity. Oh, but God says, those who endure the testing, those who are approved, those who love him will experience life 
true life, the life of blessedness which he has prepared for his children that is represented by a crown. God promises joy inexpressible and full of glory. He promises that we will reign with him, the King of Kings. He promises that we will know eternal victory having overcome sin and death in the world. He promises that we will live forever in the honored royalty of his family as his children, his treasured people. God promises blessedness when we endure. The Lord Jesus says that very pointedly in the first part of the book of Revelation, in the letters that he gives to the Apostle John, letters to the churches in Asia. And again and again, the Lord Jesus says, tell my people, tell my people to endure because there's blessedness at the end of the endurance. Let me read some of them. Revelation 2, 7. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat the tree of life. And in 2.10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, the Lord Jesus says. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution, but be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And in Revelation 2.25, only hold on to what you have till I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And in 3.5, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never erase his name from the book of life. I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 3.11, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make the pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will write my name on him. Revelation 3, 19, those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in and eat with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Make no mistake. The Lord Jesus promises blessedness when we endure. Since we know where all this is headed, then, we should be able to do what we were told back at the beginning of this whole section, consider pure joy when we face all kinds of troubles because we know we know what God is doing and where it's leading. You know, in our day, we are so inclined to value ease and comfort above everything. We think that the absence of pain and the absence of suffering is what life is all about. 
But the truth is, you know, we know better than that. We know better. A couple of examples. Consider for a moment, for a moment the athlete. Why would anybody want to be an athlete? It must be a miserable life to be an athlete. Aren't you glad you're not Michael Jordan? I mean, think about it, the discipline of training, the self-denial that it takes to keep in shape, the pain of physical conditioning, up early every morning, working long hours every day to keep in shape. No social life. No, just work, 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 sweat, and labor. Only to face injuries and booze and, and the pain of endurance through the race or the game. And then the exhaustion and the sweat and the sore muscles when it's over. All to just retire worn out at age 35. Why would anybody want to do that? truth is you'd give your right arm to be Michael Jordan or an Olympic gold medalist, wouldn't you? We make these people our heroes because we know that the glory is worth the suffering. The victory is greater than the trouble. That's the point God's making here. Right now you're in the middle of trouble. All alone you're being disciplined and trained and you're sweating and your sides aching and your muscles hurt and it seems like there's no end to this. And the Lord says, the victory's coming. The blessedness is coming. Hold on. Hold on. Hang in there. It's not over yet. God promises the crown of victory to those who endure. Or another example, you know, of life of trouble in the midst of our assumption that ease is better. Think about being a mother. Why would anybody want to have children? The nausea of early pregnancy. The uncomfortable awkwardness of late pregnancy. Not to mention the unforgettable experience of labor. Only to usher in sleepless nights and dirty diapers and constant turmoil and mess to clean up all the time. All accompanied with soaring expenses and years of heart-rending problems until they finally all leave and there you sit alone and lonely. Why would anybody do that? It's absurd. That's no fun. And yet we think it's wonderful to have children. And, and, and we, we, we make saints of our mothers. For we recognize that in spite of all the trouble and the pain and the inconvenience and the struggle and the bless and the and the the, tro the trial and the tribulation of it all it's blessed to have children have a family in a similar way god says blessed are you and you go through all the trouble 
when you endure in the midst of all the tribulation, bless it. Bless it. I don't know what trouble you have, morning. I know some of you, your troubles. But I call you to joy in the midst of your trouble. Not mindless denial of the seriousness of it that says, Woo, boy, I'm hurting. Ain't that fun? No, it's not fun. I know that. But true rejoicing because you know what God is doing here. That was the attitude that the Apostle Paul had. We're fortunate to have some things that Paul wrote. Second Timothy is a book that Paul wrote very shortly before he was executed. He sits in a Roman prison. He knows already that they're going to cut off his head shortly, in a matter of days or weeks. Listen to the blessedness of his perseverance. He writes, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul knew that God promised blessedness when we endure. Well, that concludes the lesson. Now the homework will be to live in the lab of life this week taking these things and working out your reactions to the real-life trouble, which is sure to come. Trouble which God, though, God parceled out. Though sometimes it seems to appear out of nowhere without any warning, we're confident that God is in control of that trouble. It calls us to remember these things. He expects loving Lord. Don't quit, don't rebel. And he promises blessedness when we do. The crown of life eternal. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. We realize that we would never know these things if you didn't speak to us in your word. We would go through life facing trouble, wondering why sometimes we have more trouble than others. Some people have more trouble than others wondering what it all means, wondering what's going on with us, perhaps getting to despair, never knowing what's going on, except you told us, Lord. And so when the trouble comes, may we not lose sight of what you said. Give us a heart of perseverance, a heart of love for you. Give us hope in the middle of the trouble that this is only for a moment but the joy and the blessings of the crown of life will last forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close, let's turn to hymn number 415. 415. He giveth more grace.
Let's stand and sing together. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen.